Hello, I am Joshua P. Warren, and this is Joshua P. Warren Daily. And I want to talk to you a bit about the mysterious moon that's quietly hovering up there every night. We kind of forget about it, but it's there. It's always there, looming above us. And honestly, it it's a little strange to be speculating about the moon in a day when there are still apparently people who actually believe the Earth is flat. Now, when I first started hearing about this kind of new resurgence of flat Earth believers, I won't even really call them theorists, believers, at first I thought, oh, they can't be serious. These are probably some, like, lost emo kids who have just found another way to look for attention and be special and interesting by talking about this rebellious idea. But I don't know if they're just starting to believe their own bullshit or what's happening, but I really do think that there are a lot of people out there who are starting to think the Earth is actually flat. <laughs> okay, um, they they have a cruise they're putting together now to take people to the the great ice wall that holds all the oceans, and so you can definitely see the commercial aspect to this. But uh, I I really do think that some of them are sincere and they believe it, and I'm sorry I I hate being a condescending person, but. That said, um, I really just... Look, we are going to have to just, I guess, agree to disagree on that one. I mean, the Earth is not flat. You can take a bunch of helium balloons and you can tie a camera to it and put that thing up in the air and you can see the curvature of the Earth. I know this because... My friend Maddie Beckerman is a movie producer and director in Hollywood, and he made the movie called Alien Abduction, which many people have seen, actually. It it did quite well. Um, So one of the things he did for this movie was he took uh, a camera... And he did just that. He hooked it to some balloons, and um, I, I, I forget what kind of it was. I think it was an Apple product. And he just kind of let it go, and it got so high. Who knows how high it got? And then, of course, the balloons eventually popped, and the thing fell back to Earth, and it made it intact, amazingly. They padded it really well. <laughs> I don't know if they put a parachute on it or what they did. And, uh, of course, it had a little beacon on it so they were able to find it out in the woods near brown mountain in western north carolina and retrieve that footage so if you watch the movie alien abduction you will see some actual footage from this camera falling to earth so you can do this you don't you don't have to get on a cruise ship and cruise off to the edge of the the disc um but you know furthermore like you know i spent many many years investigating strange phenomena in the bermuda triangle and so what i'm really talking about is is being out there being at the shoreline looking across the ocean looking across the sea and looking at planes looking at boats looking at ships 
looking at all kinds of things from the perspective of the horizon. And, you know, I was talking to Dr. Mulder about this, and, and we were chuckling about the, the flat earth people. And I, I was saying, look, when you're out there and you're looking at, at a ship that's coming in, first you see the little tip of the ship, the little tippy top of its mass there. And then you see a little more of it, and then a little more of it, and then a little more of it, and, a little, and then and, and it kind of gets, it looks like it's rising out of the water, right? Until finally, boom, you start to see the hull of the ship, and now you have the little ship. You see it actually coming above the horizon as it gets closer to you. Now, if the Earth were flat, that wouldn't happen. All you would see would be, when you, as soon as you could see anything, you'd see just a tiny little ship. And then that tiny little ship would just get bigger and bigger and bigger as it got closer to you. You would not see it sort of rise uh, over the horizon the way it does. So look, there are many arguments against this flat earth thing, but I, I I know a lot of the stuff that I talk about is is weird and fringe and considered pseudoscience and controversial by a lot of people who have you know a very highbrow and say they are academics and scholars and so on so you know i i i hate to uh be in that position where it's you know the the, the pot calling the kettle black sort of thing so like i'm not going to berate somebody else for their fringe ideas but i do think there is a line uh a common sense line there where it almost becomes irresponsible for you to not at least say something when there is an obvious delusion taking place right in front of you that could actually hold us back, frankly. I mean, if if people start believing things that are ludicrous, well, then that holds you back from advancing. It goes beyond your, you know, your free ability to think and behave to now you're just spreading misinformation at this point. So anyway, look, that said, let's get back to the moon. And I want to talk about the moon because... You know, I was was born in Asheville, North Carolina, which was uh, a small town, really. Even today, it's a very popular tourist destination, but there are only about 100,000 people who live there. You know, Asheville, when I was growing up, was was not a very, you know, famous place. I mean, Asheville was famous up through the 20s. He had a lot of celebrities coming there, people following George Vanderbilt around. He built the big fancy house called the Biltmore House. And then the Great Depression hit in 1929, and, and in, in the 30s, everything went bust. And pretty much for the next 70 years, there wasn't a whole heck of a lot going on in Asheville, North Carolina. And so around 2000, things started picking up, and now it's this wonderful, flourishing tourist destination. And all that started, you know, this rebirth about 20 years ago. I tell you this because growing up in Asheville, I always felt like... Um, well, it was a shame I didn't have like quick access to big entertainment, you know, when big things were going on. If if you wanted to go to a concert or you wanted to go to an amusement park or something, that meant you're going to get in the car and you're going to do you're going to be driving for hours to get to where that's happening. It's not it's not coming to your town. And then of course, when I spent years in Puerto Rico, uh I was there on the West Coast, not where the tourists go, not in San Juan out in the sticks and and boy then um you know you you really were you knew nobody was coming to your town so now that i have this residence in vegas you know i have a residence here in Asheville, and i split my time it's great to be in this cool town where like everybody comes here 
every you just, every day it's like no big deal like oh well look you know here, here this this person has come into town i won't name any names i don't have to anything you can imagine just rolls right up in your backyard and you know even movies that you can't always see in other parts of the country are a big thing here and there are theaters all over the place and what i find is that um I actually enjoy most of the time, much, much more, watching a documentary versus a piece of fiction. And, you know, of course, I'm saying that as a guy who's a fan of Indiana Jones and Star Wars and Superman and all that kind of stuff. But I think you see what I mean. I'm a big documentary guy. I've made documentaries. I will not go so far as to say I've made good documentaries, but I've made documentaries. And... So it's kind of a, it's a real treat for me when you get to watch a documentary on the big screen. It doesn't happen that often in a lot of small towns in America. And here in Vegas, I mean, if you find out about a movie uh, that's out there at all, it's going to be playing somewhere around here. Even if it's a little rinky-dink documentary, you're going to find it. And so the other day, um, I told Lauren, uh, you know, Let's let's stop by the theater and watch this documentary that's on the big screen right now. It's called Apollo 11. Now, of course, last year, I told you I really enjoyed watching the movie First Man, which was about Neil Armstrong's landing on the moon and his journey, you know, that, that led him to that. And so now there's this documentary, and maybe it's going to be in your town, I mean, or maybe it is in your town, I don't know, but uh, it's called Apollo 11, and the whole thing is nothing but documentary footage of that whole experience including never before seen footage and you don't have any kind of commentary nobody's telling the story and giving you their their thoughts on this or that no it just the whole thing is just cut together very well showing you uh, in as much detail as you're going to get at this point what it was like to to be there on the ground when this happened and and to be in the spacecraft when this happened you know to get there and come back so lauren and i were really really uh, pleased with it it lasts about 90 minutes if this thing is playing near you apollo 11 and you have the kind of interest that i have then you should go and you should watch this thing and you know what's funny is that when you watch stuff like this it helps you to understand why that a guy like Buzz Aldrin eventually got so pissed off that he punched a guy for accusing them of faking it, you know, and not going to the moon. I think you would get sick of that. And uh, look, I have no doubt that we went to the moon. My only question is, how many times have we gone to the moon? And... What exactly did we find up there? Because it's possible that we've been going to the moon much more often than we publicly are told. But that said, you know, before we get into to that level of the moon, let's just let's just pause for a second and let's just take a look at some basic facts about the moon. When's the last time you did that? Just sit down, just type in the moon. And read a little bit. Here's what happens if you type that in and uh, you bring up the Wikipedia article. It says, The moon is an astronomical body that orbits planet Earth 
and is Earth's only permanent natural satellite. It is the fifth largest natural satellite in the solar system and the largest among planetary satellites relative to the size of the planet that it orbits. Okay. The moon is thought to have formed about 4.51 billion years ago, not long after Earth. Okay, so they think, <laughs> and this is kind of crazy, isn't it, to try to even imagine what was happening 4.5 billion years ago. So they think Earth was around first. The most widely accepted explanation is that the moon formed from the debris left over after a giant impact between Earth and a Mars-sized body called Thea. Okay, I haven't even really gotten into what the hell Thea is. T-H-E-I-A. Uh, okay, let me, right now it says Thea is a hypothesized ancient planet in the early solar system that according to the giant impact hypothesis collided with Gaia Earth around four and a half billion years ago. Okay, wow. So look, see how this is almost like reading some kind of J.R.R. Tolkien fantasy, you know. Well, we have this thing called Thea that once existed a long time ago <laughs> in another world. Um, so anyway, look, I don't know. But they believe, they believe that the moon was formed after this thing called Thea slammed into what we now call Earth. So anyway, the moon is in synchronous rotation with Earth. And that means it always shows the same side to Earth. The near side. So that's why you hear about the dark side of the moon. I know it's kind of hard to imagine how the, the, that same side is always here, but you can watch animations or whatever if you want to. Says uh, its surface is actually dark, although compared to the night sky, it appears very bright with a reflectance just slightly higher than that of worn asphalt. Its gravitational influence produces the ocean tides, body tides, and the slight lengthening of the day. So it goes on to say, okay, the moon is about, you know, it's approximately 250,000 miles from Earth. They say it's 238,856 miles. Okay. So to give you, if you're listening in the U.S., I believe from coast to coast here in the U.S., it's about 3,000 miles. So we're talking 250,000 miles to get to the moon. The moon was reached for the first time in September of 1959 by the Russians. Did you know that? The Soviet Union had Luna 2, an unmanned spacecraft. So they were the, the very first people to send something to the moon and get some images and all that. The Russians. So you can see why that really did sort of disturb the powers in the U.S. at that time. Like, oh my God, I don't know what these guys are doing up there, but they're, they're, they're putting a lot of resources into this. They're really smart. They must be doing something worthwhile. We got to get up there. So anyway, um, now, of course, we have numerous countries that have been up there. So you see, so you have the U.S., you have Russia, you have China, you have a number of European countries that got behind a Swedish made craft that went up there. Um, a lot of people have gone up there and peeked around and taken a look. But so far, Americans are supposedly the only ones who have actually 
set foot on the moon, who've walked on the moon. And when you get into like what it looks like up there, um, yeah, it looks weird. I'm sure that you've seen plenty of pictures of it, so there's no need to get into that. But do you know that for many, many years, it was said that there was no water on the moon, that it was impossible, the moon has no atmosphere, there's no water. Jim Mars, he wrote this book called Alien Agenda, where he said, look, folks, there's some weird stuff going on here with the moon. And he said that when the moon is hit by a meteorite, it rings like a bell. So it has a lot of hollow chambers. And he furthermore said that there was evidence of water vapor on the moon. And people said, oh, that's the craziest stuff. Well, guess what? Now all these things that Jim Mars wrote about are being confirmed. And by the way, we have no idea what the internal structure of the moon is. Uh, you know, we don't even know exactly what the internal structure of the Earth is. So, the, you know, the moon, it, they say it's dense, but, you know, it's it's got some, there's some space in there, and there is speculation that it's possible, it's possible, that instead of the moon being what was left over from some collision between earth and this theoretical planet you know some debris that magically formed this thing it could be a death star up there just like out of star wars like it's a big metal round spaceship of some kind um maybe it's abandoned but it's covered, yeah, it's covered with a lot of dust and debris because things slam into it, and then, and then they don't have any wind, so, so yeah, you end up with what we call the lunar surface. But if you look up the presence of lunar water, it says here, liquid water supposedly cannot persist on the lunar surface. That's because there's not enough of an atmosphere. So water just goes, you know, if you if you poured out a bottle of water up there, it's just going to be a vapor and just sort of disappear. And uh, it says, however, since the 60s, scientists have hypothesized that water ice, ice may be deposited by impacting comets or possibly produced by the reaction of this and that and the other. As a matter of fact, we know, we know that they found water up there. They have seen these water vapors. It says signatures of water have been found to exist on the lunar surface. There's a bunch of these examples, and it says little lava beads brought back to Earth on Apollo 15 actually showed small amounts of water in their interior. So there is water on the moon. Now, you might wonder, like, well, okay, well, fine, what's the big deal? I'm not saying this because water is supposed to be, like, the staple for life. I'm saying this because, and especially if you're a new or newer listener to this podcast, you should know that one of my great mentors in life was a scientist named Charles Yost. He is dead now. Uh, He was one of those guys. I met him when I was in high school and became an apprentice working with him on various projects in his laboratory. And Charles Yost was one of the original spacecraft designers who worked 
all throughout the Apollo missions, and he actually has the distinction of being in the NASA Hall of Fame. And uh, interestingly enough, he's in the Hall of Fame not for his work on uh, spaceships, but for his work on developing foam that they would use in the spaceships, which now has great commercial use as uh, what you might think of as Tempur-Pedic foam or memory foam. He was one of the inventors of that. And so he goes down in the history books for that achievement. And, of course, you can see why that would have been so helpful in um, space shuttles. And then, of course, it was immediately great for the medical industry. So anyway, Charles Yost, given his experience on Apollo, um, on the Apollo missions, was, was a very highly esteemed man. And this guy, Charles Yost, was a very... He was an imaginative guy, but he was also a very gruff, dry engineer type. Like, he, he, he did not like to, to speculate about things. Um, if I were to talk to him about ghosts and UFOs, he, he would have just sort of, you know... He liked UFOs, because he believed there was something to that. But, but ghosts, he would just... Eh. So... Charles Yost was just like, he had the most clinical dissecting mind of anybody I've ever known. And when I was working for probably 15 years with him on various projects, there were times where I respected him so much and I was so intimidated by his body of knowledge that I was afraid to ask him something like, do you think that maybe there is something conspiratorial about us going to the moon, you know, because I thought he would think, well, uh, this kid's an idiot. If he... But I finally got to know him well enough, and one day, you know, I asked him, I said, do you think that maybe there's anything fishy about whether or not we went to the moon the way we said we did? And he paused for a minute, and he thought for a long time, a long time, and then he goes, I want to show you something. I was like, okay. And then he took me into his office, and he showed me this video footage. And this was one of the most interesting days of my life this was video footage from one of the apollo missions that contained some images that uh, made him scratch his head that he could not explain so if you've heard me talk about this before well then fine i'm just kind of refreshing you but it's footage from apollo 11 now let me tell you a little bit about apollo 11 because everybody talks about Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin being the first guys to go up there and walk on the moon, but they couldn't have done that if other people had not actually already gone up to the moon and orbited around it. I mean, that was a big deal. So Apollo 8 left Earth on, uh, let's see, December 21st of 1968. It was the second manned spaceflight mission flown in the United States Apollo program. It became the first manned spacecraft to leave low or uh, low Earth orbit, reach the moon, orbit it, and return. Okay, so the very first time that humans actually flew up to the moon and orbited around it and came back was Apollo 8. And there were three astronauts, Frank Borman, James Lovell, and William Anders. If you ever saw the movie Apollo 13, 
James Lovell, I'm pretty sure, was the character portrayed by uh, Tom Hanks. And he was supposed to land on the moon that time, but it didn't work out. So if you've, and in fact, you know, April's coming up, and I talk about bad luck happening to people in April sometimes, and Apollo 13 <laughs> was an example of that. So anyway, it says that these, these three guys were the first humans to witness and photograph an earth rise. You know, think about that. You know, you have a sunrise. Well, they saw an earth rise. They were the first humans to witness and photograph an earth rise and to escape the gravity of a celestial body. So, uh, anyway, all, you know, all kinds of interesting things. It says it took them three days to travel to the moon. They orbited the moon ten times over the course of 20 hours. And, of course, they were up there at Christmas Eve. And so if you remember a little bit about your Apollo history, you might remember that here they are orbiting the moon, the, fir- the very first humans to do this. It's Christmas Eve, so they decided to do a live reading, a live broadcast, a live reading of the first ten verses from the book of Genesis. That's what they decided to do. Isn't that interesting? They could have read anything. And uh, they read, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. Why does that give me cold chills for some reason? Seems like the older I get, the more that means something. Divided. The the light was good. The light was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. Hmm. So as Apollo 8 was flying over, apparently they were about 70 miles above the lunar surface, taking footage. And at one point in this footage that Charles Yost was showing me, you see the lunar surface, you see all the different formations and the aspects of it sort of passing passing, passing below and then there's something sticking up from the lunar surface. It looks like a little hair. Now remember what I was saying about how a ship looks on the horizon when the mass gets longer and longer and longer as it's coming closer to you because the perspective is changing? Well, guess what? This is what it looks like. It looks like a little hair, like a little black thing, a vertical thing is sticking up on the surface of the moon And it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger as you get closer to it. So it shows you there's a perspective shift. It looks like like a black hair sticking straight up off the moon. And Charles said to me, if they were 70 miles above the moon, this thing had to be hundreds of feet tall. And then right as they're about to pass over it, there's a little puff of some kind of, well, I don't know if you call it smoke, vapor, whatever just goes poof and very quickly dissipates just as you would suspect that it would on the moon 
given what we've been told about the atmosphere. Charles didn't have an explanation for that. He just said it was a curious thing, and he gave me permission to post this for the very first time, be the first person to post this on the internet, amazed me. I talked about it on Coast to Coast AM, and that was when I finally got to meet the men in black. That's a nice day in your life when you realize, oh, all that shit's true. There actually are men in black, and people started harassing me and tapping my phone line, and it got to be so crazy that I quickly realized there is a, or at least at that time, there was a whole task force of people whose job is to sit there every day and to try to squash people who talk about anything related to the moon other than the mainstream story that we all hear about. So I knew right then and there there was something fishy going on with the moon. And since then, you know, I've been on some different programs. I was on a program on the Sci-Fi Channel called Aliens on the Moon where they got into some pretty crazy, outrageous stuff. And look, I'm not saying I stand behind every ridiculous theory about the moon, but what I can tell you is that I saw that footage. I talked about it. Somebody out there didn't like me talking about it for some reason and put me and my friends and family through a lot of hell over it. And... Then, um, I interviewed Dr. Edgar Mitchell for the radio program I used to do called Speaking of Strange. Dr. Edgar Mitchell was the sixth man to walk on the moon. And right there on the radio with me, he said that before he went to the moon, that he was briefed and told that there are at least four types of humanoid aliens. And to be prepared, just in case he encounters one of them. He said he never did encounter them, but he said he was told, he was implying he was told by somebody within the federal government that this was a possibility. And, you know, it just I just realized today that, you know, from time to time, I replay some of my old interviews on this podcast. And I don't think I've actually replayed my interview with Dr. Edgar Mitchell. So I think I'm going to uh, try to edit that together for you in a suitable form and post that tomorrow so that you'll have a little something to listen to over the weekend. But so here we have a guy who was not only an astronaut, only only 12 people have supposedly walked on the moon. I got this guy who walked on the moon telling me, uh, yes, and, and then he, he seemed to the day he died like the most rational, logical person. I got this guy who walked on the moon telling me he was briefed and told that there are aliens out there, humanoid aliens, okay, we we know what that means, humanoid. And now we have the Pentagon coming out and telling us about all the stuff they're back engineering. I mean, again, look, folks, that argument's over with. If you're sitting in a court of law and I have to prove to you beyond a reasonable doubt that there are aliens out there, I could do that very easily. You know, The evidence may be circumstantial because I may not be able to drag an alien in there and put him in the seat, but... The circumstantial evidence is strong enough that I think that you would have to admit that, okay, yeah, beyond a reasonable doubt, there are aliens out there. And there's something fishy happening on the moon. 
Now, you might think, well, hang on a second, Josh. You just said, okay, Russia has been poking around up there. We know the U.S. has, China has, these Europe. Wouldn't somebody say something? If they'd seen some kind of aliens up there or something happening like this is a Death Star or maybe there used to be something up there and so we have some artifact, wouldn't somebody say something? Well, here's what you have to realize. Right now, you can sit there and you can look at the world as Canada, the U.S., Mexico, well, you start breaking it down, South America and Africa and Europe. and you, You start breaking it down, you break it down country... And you think, oh, there's so many people out there. Somebody would say something if they had. If you have the means, if you have the resources, if you have the collective permission to launch something on this planet that makes it to the moon and back, you are part of a very small select club. I don't give a shit what your hometown is or what country you're from. You are part of a very small select group of people. Do you know how much money it would take to do that? Do you know the resources it would take to do that? There is a very, very tiny, small, elite percentage of individuals on this planet who could ever even begin to dream of doing something like that. And, and you know, you hear all these stories about people like Elon Musk talking about going to Mars and everything. Fine, talk about it all you want. Let's see you do it. Okay, let's see you do it. These are people who have done it. And what are governments? Governments are people. They're individuals. I have no problem whatsoever believing that I don't care what country you're from, if you happen to make it into the club where you get to make decisions (laughs) about how that something is sent to the moon and comes back, yeah, that's that's a very small Mickey Mouse club you're in. And maybe this is just the Jim Mars coming out in me you know the conspiracy theorist guy but i tend to think that it would not be very difficult to sort of get on the same page and kind of work out the details about what is and is not going to be shown to the sheeple down the line uh, toward the bottom of the pyramid that's just how it works so I don't have a very clear idea of what's going on up there. I really don't, to be honest with you. I don't know if aliens are hanging out there every day, or if they they just you know land there once in a while and take a nap. It's like the you know the the rest area as they're driving down on the on their way to Earth. I don't know if there once was a culture there. Um, I don't know if we're up there mining uh, helium three so that we can produce better fusion operations. Uh, I know that President Trump has formed the Space Force, so I guarantee you the moon's going to play a role in that. I don't know exactly what's going on up there. That's the whole point, I guess, in a way. It's like, again, I'm, I'm not one of the guys who gets to be a part of that. I'm not part of that little club of people. And I think it's probably safe to say you're probably not either. Maybe the, maybe there are a couple of them who listen to this podcast. I don't know. But um, so I can't tell you what's going on up there. But I can tell you there's something weird and fishy happening at the moon that we're not being told about. And if you have not seen this footage that I mentioned with this 
thing that looks like a smokestack sticking up out of the moon and then releasing a puff of smoke. I'm going to post this for you on my Twitter and Facebook accounts. So my Twitter account is at Joshua P. Warren. The easiest thing to do is just to go to joshuapwarren.com and then you'll see my uh, Twitter information listed on there. And uh, you can go and, and, and see this. Plus, as I said, I am going to do my best this weekend as a little bonus to this podcast, post for you my interview with Dr. Edgar Mitchell, where he talks about this mystical experience that he had, uh, especially coming, you know, walking on the moon and then especially coming back from the moon and how he was briefed about the different types of humanoid aliens. I want to post that for you. And, uh, and actually, this is a very exciting weekend for me in general because my plan is, if everything goes well, on Sunday, I'm finally going to have an announcement for you. But before I tell you a little bit more about that, let me just wrap up this conversation by saying, look, folks, I know there are people out there who won't even accept the earth is round, but I believe that we know exactly what shape the earth is. We know exactly what shape the moon is. We've been to the moon. I don't even know how many times we've been there. I don't think we've been told about every trip we've taken to the moon. And there is something happening on the moon. It could be the the, the Death Star that's just sitting there collecting rust, or it could be active, or I, I don't know. I don't. I really can't exactly tell you. You know, I, I if I tried to tell you, here's what's happening. I would just be you know blowing smoke because I really don't know. But it's got to be one of the biggest, most well-guarded secrets out there. So, go see the Apollo 11 movie if, it, if that documentary is in your neighborhood. Do your research and remember, every night when you look up at the sky and you're looking for a UFO and you say, Yeah! Why can't I see one of these things? I hear all these stories about people being abducted people seeing these amazing well i just want to see one well maybe you've seen a ufo just about every time you've looked up at the night sky it's that big old glowing ball up there that might be a huge ufo and wouldn't that be ironic if we've been looking all around it all around it for these ufos but no it's the big glowing thing that's up there every night. That is the UFO. I want to share an email with you real quick. This came to me from a man in Texas. His name is Ed. And I just want to share this with you because, you know, I get a lot of emails, but sometimes I read an email and I'm like, I'm really proud that somebody sent this. He says, I know your book use the force has been around for four years already so he's talking about my book use the force a jedi's guide to the law of attraction he says i know your book use the force has been around four years already however i only acquired a copy a few weeks ago after reading the first 30 pages i curiously looked at amazon's reviews of it usually i look at the bad reviews to see what people don't like Given what their bad reviews said versus what I've read, I'm not sure we read the same book. In any case, 
While I have studied Law of Attraction type material for more than 20 years, your book is a breath of fresh air. Yes, you cover the typical aspects of Law of Attraction, but this has to be done to lay the groundwork for any additional nuggets you might add. These nuggets were what have really made this book a pleasure to read. You had more insights and different interpretations and perspectives that I had not seen before than at least 15 to 20 of the other Law of Attraction books in my collection. Well done! Exclamation point. Best regards, Ed, from Houston, Texas. And I promise I'm not related to Ed because, you know, my wife is from Katy, Texas, right outside of Houston. So, Ed, thank you very much. That means a lot to me. I greatly appreciate your words, and I am happy that you are a new listener to this podcast. And this podcast audience grows every day, and it's because that, well, you know, I keep it short, and it's commercial-free. Don't you get sick of commercials? Just con- Every time you get into something, you have to take a break and listen to a bunch of crap that doesn't have any any role it doesn't play any relevant role you know to the content and so many people are listening to this that i i'm very excited when i get to announce something new i can announce new things on this podcast and i don't even have to worry about announcing it anywhere else so on sunday this sunday my plan is to announce this new attraction that I have created in Las Vegas. Now, we're talking about, what, March 24th? Yeah, March 24th, 2019. And now, this is just the very first of many, many things that I am producing here in Las Vegas. You know, I produced uh, a big event here last year. And then I produced the Halloween party here for a small select group of people. But no, this is different. I got my uh, business license here. And I have a number of things that I'm going to be opening here in Las Vegas, Nevada, the entertainment capital of the world. And the first of these I will be announcing on Sunday. Now, even though I don't want to tell you what I'm up to just yet, I will tell you this. And you get this as an insight because you listen to this podcast. This is an inside tip. Take Saturday, April the 6th of 2019, 6 p.m. Las Vegas time, that's Pacific time. Set it aside if you can. Now, you've got to be here in Las Vegas for something. So again, if you have the ability to be in Las Vegas... And you want to come and meet me in person. And we're going to do something really exciting together. You need to set aside right now. Saturday, April 6th, 2019 at 6 p.m. To be in Las Vegas with me as we do something really cool. It's It, it only lasts uh, it'll last about a little over an hour. So you'll have plenty of time to go out and get trashed afterward. Don't worry about that. I'm not gonna, not trying to cut into your drinking hours. Um, so I will tell you more about this on Sunday. If if I don't get to, to it Sunday, then, then Monday. But I'm really psyched about this. And this is one of the things that I've been working so hard on. It's taken up a lot of my time. So get ready for something cool. 
All right. Well, I believe that's it for today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, now, remember, my website is joshuapwarren.com. There is no period after the P. If you go to joshuapwarren.com, go there, click the link to the Curiosity Shop, buy all kinds of cool stuff that you won't find anywhere else in the world. The Miraculous Prayer Board, we're still working on batch number two. We're, we're, we're sending it out in small pieces, the Miraculous Prayer Board. And we may or may not still have some of the brown mountain lights, mystical wind chimes left. So all that is stuff that you need to check out at joshuapwarren.com. You'll also find a link to this podcast. It's called Joshua P. Warren Daily because I try, I try to leave one for you every day. I don't always succeed, but I try. It's always short. It's free. It's independent. It's uncensored. And if you click the link to Joshua P. Warren Daily, you can subscribe through various means or just follow me on Twitter at Joshua P. Warren, at Joshua P. Warren, and I will tweet when a new one is available. So that's it for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your interest and support. Thank you for staying curious. And I will talk to you again soon.